Let's pray. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to be starting uh, to look in verse 21. But before we jump in, let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I always do because, Lord, it's the one thing. It's, it's the one thing, Father, that doesn't change, Lord God. You don't change and your word never changes, Lord. It is what it is. God, and we need to uh, learn more about it and come to it, Lord God, with open ears and open, open hearts, Lord, ready to receive. And so, God, I'm asking for us, Father. Lord, your word doesn't change. You don't change, God, but you ask us to change. And so, God, I pray, Lord, as we come into your word today, Father, would you open our hearts wide? Lord, would you prepare us, Father, to hear the things that you want spoken, God? And most of all, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit, not some crazy guy up here. And so, Lord, as we come to your word, as we dig in, Lord God, would you just, would you speak? Would you speak the words that you want spoken to each individual heart, God? Have your way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you guys remember last week, we looked at this amazing confession that Peter made, right? You guys remember that? Peter, God was, or Jesus was like, man, who do other people say I am? And they're like, ah, some people say you're like Jeremiah, or some people say you're like John the Baptist, or some people say all these things. And then he follows it up with another question. Who do you guys say I am? And that was the big takeaway from last week is that we all have to answer that. Who do you say that I am? Right? And we looked at that and remember Peter Under the unction of God, you guys know what that big word means, right? Unction. It means under the power of God, under the leadership of God, brought out this most amazing thing. And he's like, dude, you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. And what did Jesus say? You're right, Peter. You're the man. Good job. Good good on you, Peter. You heard that from the Lord, right? And so I can just imagine Peter, and I'm doing this as a lead up because what we're going to look at today also has to do with Peter. But I can just imagine Peter being like, that's right. Right? Like, I can just see him turn around to the other 11 and be like, you hear that, y'all? Like, let's not forget that part, right? And the fact is, is that God, Jesus did commend him. He was like, hey, good on you. The, Lord's, the Lord told you that, right? God, the Father, revealed that to you, and that's awesome. And then after that, you guys, and I would encourage you in this, if you didn't, weren't here last week or you missed it, I'm not telling you this because I taught it. I don't care. There's probably a million better messages on this section of scripture, but I'm just saying this. We tackled some often misinterpreted and misunderstood passages right after that part that Jesus spoke about. And so if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. But I want us right now to remember that Peter was walking away from this experience commended by Jesus for what God had revealed to him. And so as we keep going today, we're going to look at what happened as they continued in this time, probably, maybe even in the same day, right? So like, keep that in mind as we look at this next section. Here we go. Verse 21 says this. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So Jesus starts off and he's like, remember, do you guys remember where he is, right? He's way up north from where his normal kind of rhythm of what his ministry looked like, like an 11 mile radius around the Sea of Galilee. No, he's way up north in Caesarea Philippi. Remember, we looked at that last week. He's like 30 plus miles north from the sea. So he's up there. Why? Because it's a Gentile area. So he's away with just his disciples teaching them things, telling them things that they needed to hear, to be prepared for what was to come. And so he asked this question and Peter dropped some awesome knowledge and it's amazing. And then right after that, Jesus is like, okay, so here's the deal, y'all. I'm going to go to Jerusalem after this. Like we're headed towards that area soon. And when I get there, it's not going to look very pretty. And who's going to come against me? Basically the religious leaders. 
right? The religious leaders, those that are in authority, the elders. And when I get there, they're going to do this and it's going to be rough. And then I'm going to be killed, right? That's what he's saying. And then what did he say at the end of it? That he'd be raised on the third day. You guys, we've talked about it time and time again, and I'll say it one more time. Jesus is either an, an, a complete lunatic and a liar, or he is who he says he is. Because nobody says, hey, by the way, when I die, I'm coming back in three days. I'll see you soon. Right? You can say that all you want. You're a lunatic. You're still going to be in the grave. Yeah. Only Jesus didn't. Yeah. He is either the son of God or he's not. And every one of us has to make that decision. So it's very specific. This was not some vague description of coming events, right? Jesus was not dropping some fortune cookie type statement like, someone today will make you smile. <laughs> right? And then I don't know if you all know this little secret about um, fortune cookies, but you add at the end in the bathroom. Did you know that? No. Well, now you know. That's something my wife and I do. When we go to a Chinese restaurant, we open it up and I read it. And then at the end, we add in the bathroom. And sometimes it's quite hilarious. And other times it's disturbing. <laughs> right? But it's always kind of interesting. So here's the thing. This is not Jesus dropping some serious, like, you know, deep thought or some fortune cookie type statement. He's telling them, we are going to Jerusalem. This will not look like you think it will. It's going to be bad. They're going to take me and murder me. But I'm coming back in three days. Like he's saying that. And you guys, he was laying out something that was entirely impossible for him to know if he was just a good teacher. It was entirely impossible for him to know or to even accomplish it if he was anything other than the son of God. And so if you're here today and you are like, I'm not real sure about this Jesus guy still, hear me. You've got to understand. Either you think he is the son of God or you don't. Either he can save you or he can't. But you have to come to that knowledge. You have to. It is the one and only way to heaven. It's not your good works because you ain't got any. And neither do I. And it's not how good looking you are or popular or rich or any of the above because none of that matters. And it ain't coming with you when you die. Matter of fact, you could be the best looking person in the world, but I promise you, you will eventually rot and become bones. And then you're not so attractive. <laughs> you guys, anyone could have said this, but only Jesus actually followed through. So here's Peter riding this high of suddenly knowing everything, right? According to Jesus, I'm being sarcastic in case you guys don't catch on to that, right? Like, I, because look, how often have we looked at Peter? How often have we seen Peter already? Then he's like, I stink, I stink. Oh man, why did I do that? And then he's like, oh, I'm the man. I am so awesome. Oh man, I screwed up again. I stink. Ah, dang it. And then he's like, I'm the man, right? Like he's back and forth. He's, he's crazy, right? And I love that he's so crazy because, man, I'm just like that, right? But here's Peter hearing Jesus say these things, hearing him say, look, the chief priests and the scribes are going to take me and I'm going to be killed. And what's he think? Man, I just heard from the Lord directly according to Jesus who told me I heard from God. And so, man, I'm going to pull Jesus aside because obviously I don't know what happened in the last few minutes, but he lost his mind, Right? <laughs> Like, he's, he's talking about dying? He's the Messiah. He's not going to die. Like, he's the Messiah. He's going to take over and wipe out Rome and make us the boss. That's the plan here. I know it. I've heard from the Lord. Let me pull the Lord aside and tell him. And I love what it says, because if you notice here in verse 22, it says, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. It is almost like in the Greek, the way this reads is that he's like, oh, Jesus. You know, a little pat on the head. You're so cute. That's not going to happen. And P Jesus is like, mm, mm, mm. no, shut your mouth, Satan. <laughs> right? Like, get behind me, Satan. You guys, doesn't it sound like us sometimes? Doesn't it? 
Jesus, oh, come on, Jesus. Like, man, I, you know, I heard from a pastor that everything was going to go well and all I needed was enough faith and this doesn't look like that and things are going much different than what I expected. I mean, come on, Jesus. This isn't the way this is supposed to look. Don't we do that sometimes? What about this? Jesus, I thought this was going to be an easier road. Man, I came to you because I'm a screw-up and a sinner. and I've got all this messed up, and it doesn't look like much is changing. What's going on with you, Jesus? Don't we do that? Jesus, your word doesn't speak to all the social causes that are happening right now, and so I don't know if I can trust you in this. Hold on. You guys okay? I'm waiting for everybody to start bringing tomatoes. No! Jesus, you don't really mean that part of scripture where you're challenging your disciples to do something really, really hard, do you? We do the same thing. We can never look at anyone in the Bible, specifically Peter though, and be like, oh man, Peter, you're an idiot. Because if we do that, we've got to look at ourselves and be like, hey, I'm a lot like Peter sometimes, (laughs) right? Or maybe it's just me. I don't know. You know, I just feel like, man, we do these things. And whatever that blank is that you need to fill it with, there are times that we look at Jesus and we want him to look the way we want him to look. Instead of letting Jesus be Jesus, and we say, boy, Jesus, I want to look more like you, which is what the Bible tells us we're supposed to do. Right? You guys, what was Jesus' response to this? Get behind me, Satan. There's a lot to unpack in that one little statement. And the... (laughs) We're not going to start with the very first one, which is the biggest one, which is, wow, he just called Peter Satan. That's pretty awesome, right? That's insane. But here's the deal. Get behind me. Where did the disciples walk? Behind the rabbi. Jesus was a teacher. Jesus was literally their rabbi. I'm talking about just from the Jewish custom, let alone the fact that Jesus wasn't just a rabbi. He was literally God in flesh. So there would be another reason to be like, yeah, I'm not going to rebuke you, Jesus. But even outside of that, it, the custom was that the, that the disciples stood behind and walked behind the rabbi out of respect. So there was a part of this already that Peter's like, already within five seconds, way too big for his uh, britches. I'm going to say robes. Way too big for his robes, right? He thinks he's special. Because God commended him one time. And so he's like, I got this, right? And Jesus is like, "Mm -mm, calm down, right? So Jesus was telling Peter, hey, know your place. Know your place. Peter had become confident, but in what? Not in what God was teaching him, but in his own ability. And don't we do the same thing? Don't we sometimes get a little too excited? And start thinking like, man, I did great that last time. And man, I even, it was cool. I even got to see someone come to the Lord. And, and that's awesome. I think I got this. Woo! And so the next time you're like, bam! And you lay it out just like you did last time. And it flops flat on its face. And you're like, what happened? And Jesus is like, calm down. Follow me. I didn't even ask you to talk to that guy. What happened? right? Like, what are you doing? And I think sometimes we all have to fight through that stuff. And I love that Peter's in here because it gives us two examples. Number one, what not to do. But number two, the fact that Jesus still loved him. And he didn't just be like, Peter, get out of my sight. Notice he didn't say that. He said, get behind me. He didn't say, get out of my sight. So Peter, being all confident in his own ability, right? Saying something that I need us to look at, because here's the deal. Why did Jesus say, get behind me, Satan? Because here's the deal. Satan loves to contradict scripture, doesn't he? And he does it in this most twisted way. He takes scripture and uses half of it that's kind of true, and then twists just half of it so that it kind of like sounds right, but it's not right. And the only way we know that is because we know God's word, and we're spending time in it. And so here's Peter saying, well, I think I have an understanding of what the Messiah is going to do. And we've talked time and time and time again about the idea that the Jewish idea of the Messiah was that he was going to come in and set up shop right away and take over and wipe out every other force and, and take over and be the ruler. And that was their idea of Messiah. So do you understand why Peter is coming at Jesus this way and saying like, that's not going to happen. That doesn't line up with what everybody's been telling me. That doesn't line up with my idea of things. 
right? That's what he was saying. But the truth is, is he was going exactly against God's word because they conveniently forgot so many different prophetic scriptures, like big chunks of Isaiah where Isaiah is like, yeah, the the Messiah is going to come and suffer and die. They conveniently were like, no, that part, we're going to ignore that part. We're going to stick to the other parts that talk about how he's going to come in and be a conquering hero, right? And so they misunderstood. They, they didn't understand everything. But the truth is, you guys, here's Peter taking God and flesh aside, thinking what? That he had heard from the Lord. And so he was going to tell Jesus, God and flesh, his rabbi, what was up. And I want to say something to you. When we are believing that we're hearing from the Lord, it will always line up with his word. It will always line up with his word. I need to say that a thousand times over, you guys, because there are far too many things that you can look up on YouTube. And there are far too many prophets, and I'm using that very sarcastically, that will say, thus saith the Lord. And I heard this from the Lord. Donald Trump will make the election again. And I don't care about politics, but I heard that from a lot of people. And every one of those prophets, if we're following Old Testament law, should have been stoned. You better know what God's saying. You better. And so if any of y'all are listening to those people and they said stuff like that, drop them. I'm just being real. We have far too many people nowadays that have an audience on YouTube and things like that, and they'll say things that I'm like, wait, hold on one second. It doesn't take much digging around to look in the Bible and say, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't line up. And we need to shut that audience down, right? And we need to speak truth to each other about those things because when we hear from the Lord, it will always line up with his word. And can I tell you something? If it doesn't, it wasn't from him. So, why did Jesus call him Satan? You guys ever wonder that? The truth is, Satan had already offered Jesus a kingdom without the cross. You guys remember that? The 40 days of temptation out in the desert. Jesus is there, right? He's, He's fasting for 40 straight days. He's not eating. And Satan comes to him at that time. And what did he do? Satan does the same thing he always does. He twists scripture just a little bit. Right? He twists it like, man, doesn't it say that if you, if you jump from here that there's going to be angels that will come by your side and save you? And he's like, yeah, don't tempt the Lord your God. Right? And then he says one other thing. He's like, takes him up on a mountaintop and he says, like, all of this could be yours. All you have to do is bow your knee to me. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do any of these other things. I mean, look at your father, man. He's telling you to come down here and, and live this flesh life. Dude, you are, you're already so high above flesh. You created flesh, Jesus. Like all you could have had to do is just bow your knee to me and let me be the one in charge and I'll give you everything. And I'll just work in the background here. He offered him that. And Jesus refused. And think about what Peter is saying here. Peter's saying the same thing. He's saying, Jesus, you have the power and the authority to come in and wipe Rome out. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to do any of that. You can do it your way, right? Like Frank Sinatra, (laughs) right? Like you can do that. All you have to do is just do it. You've got the power. Did he have the power? Absolutely he had the power. But you guys understand that before the beginning of time, before the earth was ever created, Jesus knew, absolutely knew he was going to go to the cross and die to save each one of us. He knew that he was going there to take on the sins of the world. I mean, we got to get our head around that. So do you understand why he looked at Peter and he's like, get behind me. Stop. This is not okay. It's not right. You guys, I entitled this message, A Kingdom. There can be no kingdom without a cross. There can be no kingdom without a cross. And that's exactly what Peter was looking for. Why? Because it benefited Peter. Do you guys understand that? It benefited Peter. 
I think far too often for us, you guys, we want to look at Jesus and we want to turn him into something that fits a mold a little bit easier for us to handle. Don't we? We want to put, and the world does this all the time. That's why we have people saying Jesus was just a good teacher. Why? Because then they don't have to deal with the fact that no, he was God, which means he's the boss. If he's Gandhi, I don't give a crap what Gandhi said and I'm not going to listen to it. Are you? If that's who he is, then he doesn't really matter. He might've made an impact, but that's the end of it. If he's God in flesh who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, I've got to deal with that. And then if I deal with it, Christian, I've got to say, boy, everything you said, I should listen to. Because we're going to get to some hard stuff here in a second. You guys, God always knew exactly how this was going to go. It's exactly why the entire Old Testament is filled with blood. Do you understand that? The reason that poor little lammies had to die was because we're sinful people. And so they had to bring this perfect spotless lamb and it was a bloody affair because they would slit the throat and they would lay their hands on them and they would just say, Lord, take all of the sin that I've committed. Father, forgive me. God, forgive me. And and Lord, put this on this lamb. And the lamb was sacrificed to pay for that. Why? Because it was a constant reminder to each and every person that came up with bloody hands and bloody robes that my sin is gross, that it's, it's horrible. And this poor lamb had to die for me. And so Jesus came, this perfect spotless lamb in human form to pay the final sacrifice. And it was bloody and it was gory. And he did it for you and me. God's justice always demands a sacrifice. So Jesus rebuked Peter. Why? Because he was being mindful of the things of man and not of God. So I think it's something we can all fall into, can it? There's no lack of opportunity. Worrying more about what your coworkers might think than about the call by God to share Christ. I think that's a way that we can be mindful of the things of man over the things of God. Being concerned with society and the standard of the moment over what God's word makes clear. And you guys, we see this happening. We have whole denominations that are supporting gay rights. Now, I've said it a thousand times and I'll say it again. And we have people ask us all the time when we're out doing music in the square, man, you know, I'm homosexual. Would, you, would I be welcome in your church? Absolutely. We are all messed up sinners. Come in and join us you will be uncomfortable in parts, just being real. But I also say to them this, I hope and pray that everyone in our church is uncomfortable at times because God's word is true and it's a standard and we don't live up to it. And so it should make us uncomfortable, shouldn't it? It should force us to say, whoa, God, man, I got room to grow here. Help me, Lord, right? And so I'm telling you, instead of being concerned with society and the standard of the moment, because the standard is constantly changing, Anyone that's been born and been alive any amount of years, right, even if you're old enough to remember the 1980s, can look only a couple years later now, a couple decades later, and say, whoa, things have changed drastically, haven't they? And so you don't think they're going to keep changing? (laughs) They've been changing. So I'm not worried about that standard. I'm worried about this standard. And I want to follow this standard. What about this? I think this is a way that we can be mindful of the things of man and not the things of God acting and speaking like everyone you're standing around, all your friends or all your coworkers, instead of following God's word in every situation. You guys, again, Peter here goes from this super high (laughs) to being rebuked. But the truth is, is that I feel like for all of us, that could be any one of us at any given moment. And so like, instead of like looking at Peter and being like, whoa, Peter, you, you blew it, man. Like, let's look and say, oh Lord, how am I blowing it? Lord, how can I change? How can I be different? Amen. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if, yes, <laughs> if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny him, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I'm going to read that again. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So if anyone desires to come after me, a disciple, you guys, is one that is chasing after Jesus that genuinely desires to follow him. And what did he say? If that's you, if that's who you are, if that's what you want to do, what did he say? Deny yourself. Deny yourself. A disciple doesn't walk in the expectation that everything's supposed to look their way. A disciple doesn't think that the walk is not going to require any sacrifice. A disciple instead does their best to be a dead man walking. You guys ever watch that movie? There's a movie called Dead Man Walking. It's a true story about a gentleman that this nun came in and spoke with him over and over and over again and, 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 and started out that he would just be like, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. He was on death row. He accepted Christ. We're going to meet him in heaven. He accepted Christ. But at the end of that, he comes out. And it's heartbreaking because the first thing they yell, which I guess is what they really yell every time a person is going to the, you know, whatever it is, the electric chair or the, the lethal injection. And they say, dead man walking because literally you're done. You're dead. You will not be alive in a few minutes. Dead man walking. You guys, that's what discipleship looks like. It looks like every day saying, God, today, make me a dead man walking. God, today, man, Lord, you know the old flesh. You know all of the ways that I struggle. You know, I always compare discipleship to uh, a zombie apocalypse, right? Because I love zombies. You guys, the truth is, we have all these dead men walking around behind us like, right? Like coming after us. And you know what they want? They want your brain, dude. They want to eat your brains. <laughs> they want to be like, ah, oh, just remember how that felt? I like those drugs. Let's do that again. Oh man, I know you've been cleaning up your language, but let's chew on that and keep eating. And then yeah, go back to that. Oh man, you've lost some friends over this whole Jesus thing. How about you just stop and just go back to the way you were? Isn't that how it all goes? Yeah. Right? If you start looking at your sin nature as a zombie, you're going to be like doing what? Stab it in the head. Kill it. <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do with a zombie, in case you all didn't know. You kill it. You stab it in the head. You take it out. And you don't do that in your own power because it's a zombie. It's going to get back up. The next day, you're going to be like, come on. That's literally what we do with our sin nature, you guys. That's being a disciple. And I'm making a clarification here because I think we have a lot of believers in the American church. And I want to say this before we dig too deep into this passage. Believer means this. You have accepted the work that Jesus did on the cross, that he rose again to save you from your sins. You are saved. You are going to heaven. Do not mistake what I'm going to say next. A disciple is someone that says, I want more than fire insurance. And the saddest part to me is, you guys, is that the American church is so weak and anemic in our country because we have way more believers than we do disciples. And man, I don't want to see that for us. If we're going to take ground, we can believe and be in heaven, and that's awesome. But believers don't really go the extra step and say, man, I want to tell everybody about Jesus. And that's what takes ground. The disciples took ground, you guys. And it was hard. And all of them, except the, the disciple John, died horrific deaths. But oh, by the way, John got boiled alive and survived it. So I think I would have rather died. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You guys, what's the worst we have to deal with here in America? Someone doesn't like me. Someone talked behind my back. Really? Now, it's getting more serious, isn't it? By the moment, I had a talk with a, I had a conversation with a person 
just the other day that said, listen, I've got to go and I've got to talk to my boss about an issue because I feel like he's asking me to lie and, I, and I'm not going to do it. And it was dealing with transgenderism and things like that. And it was dealing with kids. And the fact that a school district wants this person to speak and say, yes, you're a boy. Yes, you're actually a girl, but you're a boy here. But we're not going to tell the parents that we're telling them that. That's, that's lying. And it's taking away the authority of the parent. And so they're like, what should I do? And I'm like, man, I don't know. That's a tough one. I think we need to look at God's word and say, man, lying's wrong. So we're not going to lie. And yeah, it might require a stand, and that might mean that person's job. Are things getting crazier? Yeah. Why would we expect less whenever other countries, they're like, man, I'm going to be crucified or I'm going to be beheaded. Like still losing your job. I'm not minimizing it. I'm not saying it's not a big deal, but listen, that's where we, the church, get to be the church and say, we got you. It's okay. God will provide. And if he provides through us, amen. Do you get what I'm getting at? It's not going to get better, y'all. It's going to get crazier. And if we're going to step out and be disciples, then we've got to recognize that it's going to get crazier. So he says, let us, let him deny himself. A disciple can't walk in the expectation it's going to be easy. What's he say next? Take up your cross. This is a huge statement. Think about this. Like, get your head around what was just said. He just told the disciples, hey, by the way, we're going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die, which they all knew what that meant, that he, he, she was going to be put up on a cross, right? Like, it was either that or he's going to be stoned to death or something. But like, they kind of had this idea that that's how people died back then. That was what it was for, death. And they knew that he had enough kind of clout and authority within the world that 10 to 1, Rome was going to make an example. They knew that. And so then he tells them right after that statement of saying like, this is how this is going to go down. He looks at them and he's like, man, you take up your cross. Deny yourself, die to yourself and take up your cross. Peter had just done rebuked Jesus saying, you're not going to the cross. And now Jesus is like, all of you are, <laughs> right? Take up your cross. Everyone knew exactly what Jesus was saying here. They're saying the cross, they knew, they knew that the cross was an absolute instrument of death. That was its only goal. They didn't put somebody up there to be like, man, you made it a week. Good for you. You're done. Get down. That's not how that worked. Once you went up, you stayed there until you died. And if God was gracious to you, that was quick because it was painful. There was no other purpose for the cross. So what does this look like in practice for us as disciples? There's a quote from a guy named John Walverd, a theologian that I like a lot. He says this. It says, in the Roman Empire, a convicted criminal, when taken to be crucified, was forced to carry his own cross. Why? Because this showed publicly that he was then under and submissive to the rule that he had been opposing. He was under and submissive to the rule that he had been opposing. So Romans used not only the cross and, and being hung there like a picture for everyone to see rotting corpses just hanging on a cross to be like, I dare you cross me. <laughs> That's <a> pun, <laughs> right? But like this idea, that wasn't intentional. But the point I'm making is, is that here we have this thing that the Romans did that they knew worked very well, right? It was one way to enforce the peace of saying like, you wanna end up there? Keep up what you're doing right? But then on top of that, you guys, they would make them carry that cross after they had been beaten, after they were so low, right, that some of them didn't even make the trip to the cross. They died on the way. Like, that's how bad this was. But they carried that cross. Why? To let that person know and everyone else, this thing that you've been opposing, this rule of Rome that you've been opposing, you are now literally under it. You're literally carrying your own way to your own death. Jesus was saying to the disciples, look, you got to show publicly that you're submissive to the rule of Jesus, to the rule of Christ. Take up your cross. We're not doing our own thing. We can't be doing our own thing 
and be, be, be submissive to Jesus. Can we? You can't be. You can't be saying, I am my own authority and I'm going to do what I want and submit to God's authority. It's not possible. So what's Jesus saying here? If you want to be a disciple, die to yourself and take up your cross and what? Follow me. Follow me. Verse 26. For what profit is it to man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You guys, if we want to find life eternally, we need to understand that the life here is not going to cut it. And I don't care how wealthy you are or how much good things you've got going on. And maybe you've got like 5,000 Facebook friends that you only know maybe 100 of. Really? Like maybe you're like, I'm the man, dude. My Instagram followers, what? It could be any of those above, right? For you younger generation, for you older generation, you might be like, look, I'm established. I'm happy. Everything's good. I've got this figured out. My life is pretty solid. I'm not going to rock the boat right now and turn this into something that it's never been. Well, I need you to understand something. When you die, that all goes away. And I'm talking to anyone here that doesn't know the Lord and everyone here that does know the Lord, because I think we can both fall into this. I think we need to have an understanding that if we want life eternally with him, it only comes by following him. Now, remember what I said earlier. If you're a believer here, you are saved. You're going to heaven. But I don't know about you guys. When I get to heaven, I want to be like, Jesus, I've heard your voice a thousand, hundred thousand times. I know who you are. And now I get to see you face to face. I don't want to get up there and be like, man, thank you for the fire insurance, Jesus. Now, can I get to know you over eternity? I think that's what a believer's going to do. Man, I never even really talked to you that much. Man, I just kind of came to church every maybe twice a month. And man, thank God for the fire insurance. That is, man, that is not how I want to spend eternity. I want to spend eternity being like, oh, Man, I've been praising your name for years and now I get to do it for the rest of eternity and my voice, Jesus, wow, you gave me a good one finally. It's awesome. That's what I want. The reality is, you guys, if you're here and you're living this life and you're thinking, man, like I've got everything I want in this world. I've got money. I've got power. I've got friends. I've got prestige. The reality is, is that we all have eternal life. It just depends on where you're going to spend it. And if that's your aim in life, this is as close to heaven as you'll ever get because you're going to spend eternity in hell and that sucks. Lord, forgive me. I'm trying to not use that word, but it does. It, that's horrible. Matter of fact, that word I just used isn't even a word that describes the depth of how bad that is. Like, man, we need to get our head around the fact that Jesus loved us so much that he went and died for us. And we need to understand that like, that means something. If you're a non-believer, you need to understand that and you need to accept that. If you are a believer here, can I encourage you? If you are looking and saying, man, Lord, am I following hard after you? Am I dying to myself or am I just doing my own thing and expecting others to somehow catch the vibe that I'm a Christian? Then maybe I need to deal with myself. Maybe I need to go to you, God, and deal with that because I'm not being a disciple. This world is fleeting. You guys want a proof? Flip over with me. First John. First John chapter two. Remember, this is the same John that was boiled alive and survived it. This is the same John that went to the Isle of Patmos after he was boiled alive to be exiled, to break rocks. And then he was there and he wrote the book of Revelation because Jesus came and talked to him. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But the other reality is, you guys, is that this here in 1 John is a very, very, very old man who has lived a very, very, very hard and long life. And you know what he says here? Verse 15 in chapter 2 says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Amen. Let's finish up. Go back over to Matthew with me. Verse 27, finishing up this chapter, it says this. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father 
with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus here was speaking prophetically of something that was not even yet to come for us. Do you understand? So he spoke prophetically in the very beginning of this saying like, look, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. This is how it's going to look and I'm going to die and rise in three days. That's a prophetic speech at this point in history. But he's speaking of something here in verse 27 that we haven't even seen yet. Do you understand? He's speaking to way in the future. Well, I hope not too far in the future. I'm, matter of fact, I'm, I'm ready for today. Like we can be like, let's go. So I say this all the time. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you're the last one, dude, get on it. Let's go. Because I want to go home. Jesus prophetically is speaking of something that hasn't yet come. The what is that? The day he's going to return and rule this earth. And although eternal life in heaven is more than a reward enough, you guys, we get to go and hang out with Jesus for eternity. We're going to get even more rewards. And that's what he's saying here. Like, I'm going to reward you for the faithfulness you've shown in being a disciple. It's awesome. Then Jesus says some interesting things here. He says this, and you can just imagine what this did. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Can you see Peter right there being like, that's me, y'all. I think that's me. John, I know you're young, but probably me, right? One of the disciples. So, here's the thing. Did they know who that was? Nope, they didn't get it. They were probably like, Jesus, I have no clue what you're saying right now, but okay. I take it. I hear it. We know, because we have the entirety of scripture, who that was. He's talking about John. He's talking about this. John, the gospel, or I'm sorry, the book of Revelation, you guys, was literally, I hope you know this, that John wrote the book of Revelation, one Revelation, not Revelations, He wrote the book of Revelation, but if you guys flip over with me to the very beginning of the book of Revelation, in your Bibles, to the front page of the book of Revelation, it says this, the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus showing up after John had been boiled in oil and survived it. While he's on the Isle of Patmos, he shows up and he's like, hey, John, you miss me? And he's like, yes, right? And he's there and he's like, I got some things to show you. And then he proceeds to just blow his stinking mind with the entirety of the book of Revelation, which is a a vision, a revelation, a revealing of what is to come that we haven't even seen yet. That's what that is. And so do you guys get why and how now that we can look back and we can see who this was? Because no other disciple was even alive at this point. They were pretty much all dead. They had all been murdered and martyred. But the reality is, you guys, is here, he, Jesus says like, hey, some of you standing here shall not taste death till you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That's what we read in the book of Revelation. So, Here's the conclusion. You ready? The truth of everything we've read today, for all of it, is this. There can be no kingdom without a cross. There can be no kingdom without a cross. You must accept the work that Jesus did on the cross to accept the work and the fact that he rose again in order to be saved. And that is the one and only thing you need to do to be saved. But if you're here today and you've done that and you're like, man, I don't know much about this discipleship thing. Well, that requires a cross too. It requires you to pick yours up and walk with it. And that's not going to be easy. It requires you to die to yourself. That's pretty hard. I'm not asking or saying that any of this is easy. I'm also not up here condemning you and acting like I've got this all figured out because I don't. Ask my wife. Right? Like it's, it's not easy. None of this is easy. And we're going to screw up every day, you guys. And that's okay because of the cross that Jesus died on that we go back to and say, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy that you poured out onto our lives, right? But it should never stop us from continuing to kill that zombie. Continuing to say, Lord, I pick up my cross today. What does that mean? It might mean a lost job. What does that mean, Lord? It might mean some lost friends. 
It might mean some people that just don't like what I have to say or what I'm standing for, right? But the reality is there is no kingdom without the cross. We can't see Jesus as just a good teacher because a good teacher doesn't have to go on a cross. The Messiah did. God in flesh had to do that for us. I want to look at one final scripture. If you guys flip over with me to 1 Peter. We're going to end where we begin. Why? Because just like Peter, isn't it just like him? Here he is, older and wiser, writing a letter. And he's like, you guys, let me tell you something. Let me tell you some things that I've learned over my years of screwing up and doing good and screwing up and doing good and screwing up and doing good, which is literally the picture of every Christian's life. Chapter four of First Peter says this, verse one. Sorry, I should give that out earlier. Verse one of chapter four. Peter says this, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Does that mean that he's perfect and sinless? No. What it means is this, man. The more you're killing that zombie, the more you're fighting that fight, I promise you guys, the more you're going to find victory over sin. And it's not in you, you guys. It's only the Holy Spirit that can do that job in us. But as you're doing that, what's Peter saying? He's like, you're going to find yourself sinning less and less. You're going to find yourself having victory in these areas that man, for so many years may have dogged you. Verse two, that he no longer shall live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles or doing the will of our own flesh is essentially what he's saying. When we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regards to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. In other words, what he's saying is all your old friends and all the people that are around you that don't like you because you're goody two-shoes or you're doing something different or you're refusing to walk in the same way that you used to walk, the same dissipation, And notice he says flood of dissipation because that's what it's like when we're like, yeah, and just living it up, isn't it? Why? Because we got to fill our God-spaced hole with everything we can find, every drug, every alcohol, everything, every piece of sex we can get a hold of, everything we can do to fill that hole that will never be filled by anybody but God. So it is always a flood. And when you stop acting like that, and when you start turning your life over to Christ and saying, I'm a disciple of Christ and I will not do the same things I've done. What are they going to do? They're going to talk evil about you. Isn't it true? I have lost friends over this stuff, and I'm okay with that. And it leads me to a place of prayer for them. Verse 5. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. If you guys have any questions about five and six, we will cover that at a later date. There is enough for a whole message right in those two verses. But the point I'm making is you guys, and I want, the thing I want us to focus on is here's Peter screwing up at the very beginning of today. And here we see Peter writing later and saying, listen, because Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. There will be people up front here, you guys, to pray with you as the worship team comes up and as we begin to kind of do that, I want to encourage you guys, if you don't know Jesus, if you're watching online and you don't know Jesus, if you listen to this later and you don't know Jesus, please go to the website or type right now if you're online on Facebook and say, hey, I want to know more about Jesus. Or go to the website and and hit the contact us button. The website is greatbaycalvary.com. We would love to talk to you about Jesus and, and what it means to follow him. If you're here today and you don't know him, please do not walk out of here. If you are here today and you don't know that you know him, and maybe you're like, man, I, I've been through confirmation, or man, I've, I've done this before and I think I know him. If you think, how about you know? Come up and pray with us. It's not magic, but it is required, right? The book of Romans tells us 
Confess with your mouth, believe with your heart, and you will be saved. There is an idea of confession that's required from us. I also want to say this, you guys. If you're here today, and you'd be willing to own your own life enough to admit that, man, there are some areas that maybe you're faltering in as far as being a disciple. If that's you, please come up and get prayer. Don't walk out of here and be like, ah, it's okay, we'll just keep going the way we're going. I got fire insurance. I hope that's not anyone in this church. Because the reality is, you guys, it's true. You'll be in heaven, I have no doubt about that. I'm not at all saying you won't be. I'm saying you're missing out on a richness in your life. You're missing out on it. And also, I would imagine, you guys, because I lived this way for a while, that there's this tug inside of you that you're like, I kind of want to do more for the Lord, but I kind of don't want to give up this. Or I kind of want to do more for the Lord, and it seems cool to watch these other people that have such joy, but man, it's just too hard, and I've got too many things, and I've got all this, and I've got all that. And you can make a thousand excuses. Or you can say, God, I give it, I give it all to you. I'm going to quit, and I'm going to give it to you. And until you're ready to do that, man... If the Lord returns, you're going to be with us in heaven. That's awesome. But you'll have missed an opportunity. And that's just the truth. Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.